Our lectionary gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. And so if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn or swipe there in a mobile device and read along with me as I read John, chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. Jesus says to his disciples at the Last Supper, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be made complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. A few years ago, Pastor Tom Renier posted a question to the church-going folks on the social media platform Twitter. He asked the Twitterverse, what are some things that you have seen people in your church fight over, maybe even split over? And here are a few of the favorites that he pulled out from that comment, from those comments. There was a church that had an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. There was another church that had a fight over whether or not to build a children's playground on some open land that they had or to put in a cemetery. There was a deacon accusing another deacon at one church of sending an anonymous letter and then deciding to settle this matter in the parking lot after worship since they couldn't do it in the building. There was a 45-minute heated argument in one church over the type of file cabinet to purchase for the secretary's office, black or brown, two, three, or four drawers. There was a fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer, the one of him holding the lamb or the one of him looking slightly off camera. I don't know if that's what they fought over, but they fought over whether to put Jesus, which picture to put in the foyer. There was a dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. There was another church that had a dispute over the Lord's Supper because one uh, church service had used cranberry grape juice instead of the grape juice, the, the normal stuff that they were used to. There was one church that had business meeting arguments about whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not, and it took two business meetings to vote on and decide to do that. There was a church that had arguments over what type of green beans the church should serve for potlucks. There were two different churches who reported fights over, and I can understand this one, the type of coffee that was served at breakfast. In one of the churches, they moved from the Folgers brand to a stronger Starbucks blend, And in another church, they simply moved to a stronger blend of the Folgers. And apparently, members left the church because of the second example. There was major conflict in one church when the youth group dared use a crock pot that had not been used for years from the church kitchen. Another church had an argument on whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. And some of you would say, absolutely. I would probably say not, but we won't argue over that. There was a disagreement in one church over the use of the term potluck instead of pot blessing. There was a church member who was chastised because she brought vanilla syrup to the coffee server tray because it looked too much like liquor. There were some church members who left one church because a church member had been upset with them and hid the vacuum cleaner where they couldn't find it. 
And it led to a big dispute, and they left. And then lastly, there was a church that had an argument over whether the fake dusty plant should be removed from the podium next to the pulpit or whether they should just be cleaned off. While some of these are funny, many of us hear them and cringe because we recognize some of our own arguments that we have had in the church or some of our own disagreements that we have seen other people do. Some of these may have hit very close to home. I remember when I first started coming to the church, as many of you know, in eighth grade, I had no idea what the church was supposed to be. I didn't know the proper etiquette for worship. I didn't know you weren't supposed to stand on pews. I didn't know you weren't supposed to run in the fellowship hall. I didn't even know what the point of community was at all. All I knew was that I enjoyed youth group events. I enjoyed being in leadership where I could in the church. And I loved the fact that the church agreed on everything as I got to know Jesus and the Bible better as I grew. But the older I became, the more perplexed I became about the church. Because when I first started attending, I did assume that everyone was on the same page when it came to everything. I had assumed that Jesus was the reason that we were together, and so everything else would just fall from that. Nothing else would matter. As I grew, I quickly discovered the reality was that Christians are often like snowflakes. No two are exactly the same when it comes to belief or tradition or even the values that we carry. For many years, as I discovered this, this was a struggle for me, especially as I grew in divinity school and my understanding of theology and the Bible and seeing who Christ was. This idea that the church had been divided for a long time. And so this question of how do we handle our differences was always in the back of my mind, especially as I started to begin working in churches and seeing behind the curtain a bit to what goes on. I would ask myself the question, if we don't all agree in church on everything, then what is the point? Isn't it easier just to stay home and not worry about disagreeing, not worrying about having grief in community, not worrying about things dividing us? I think that we've all been here, right, at some point or the other. Some of you grew up in this church, but many of you did not. BBC is your second or your third or your fourth or maybe even your fifth congregation of which you have been a part. And if you're like me, as I have served in, uh, in various churches or attended churches, I've learned that just like the Christians that compose them, every church is different. What works in one place doesn't work in another What kind of green beans we eat in one church, we can eat at the other. It doesn't matter where we go, every congregation is different. If you're like me, you may have discovered that disagreement and difference can often lead to cutoff, to people leaving, to even deeper division as we push Christ to the back burner in light of the thing that we want or that we would prefer. When our text today, Jesus sits with his disciples at the Last Supper. He's seeking to prepare them for the world to come after his death and his resurrection and his return back to heaven. And he wants them to see this is what that church will look like. This is what that community of faith will look like. And over the last five weeks or so, six weeks, as we've talked throughout the Eastertide season, the season that begins at Easter and ends at Pentecost, we've seen that these earliest believers are really trying to figure out what does it mean for us to be a community gathered in the name of Christ? Because you see, they didn't have the benefit of thousands and thousands of years of church conflict 
to learn from. They didn't have the value of church conferences where people got together and debated theology and tried to figure out, well, do we believe in the Trinity or do we not? Do we sing these types of songs or do we not? They didn't even benefit from something that we have, and that is that we have a Bible that's bound together with certain books. Because in their day, one house church might read one writing from Paul or someone else, and another church might read a different writing, a different scripture. They didn't even agree on what scriptures were the ones they were supposed to read. They didn't have all of that. All they had was faith in Jesus and the differences that they brought to the table and the deep understanding that following Jesus might cost them much. And so when Jesus sits down with them, as John recounts in John 15, he does so knowing that the path ahead for them is not going to be easy. He holds nothing back from them. He says in the verses that follow, the ones that I've read, the world will actually hate you because you follow me. Now, what does he mean there? Well, what he means is this path will be difficult. It will be hard. And the people around you won't understand why you get together. They won't understand why Roman centurions would sit down at the same table as slaves. They won't understand why people who work in the emperor's house would dare sit down with the lowest of the emperor's people, people that the emperor would never dare even set his eyes on. They won't understand why you keep getting together after you disagree. They won't understand, and they will hate you for it. But he says what it will take for you in this community that's not understood to get together is this idea that you will have to give up everything or at least be willing to, to show the love that I have taught you about. This is, after all, right, the example that Jesus is about to give to them. This idea of no greater love has no person than this, than laying your life down, and he is going to lay his life down so that their community can grow and change this world together. To do this, Jesus says, will not be easy. He doesn't even try to sugarcoat the realities of what it will mean for us and for them to be the church of Christ. And so in this, Jesus gives them this challenge. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than, than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, for these earliest Christians, this might have actually meant to follow Jesus' example and to die for their faith and to uphold and continue the church that they were building. In many ways, in the earliest days, the church took a foothold in the world, not because of people going out and saying, hey, you need to come to our house church, but because people literally gave up their life. As people were willing to die for this Jesus thing that they were following, people started to wake up and say, well, maybe... Maybe it's worth listening and being a part of. But for us in the Western church, it doesn't often mean that, right? We don't find ourselves in many situations where we're asked, are we willing to die for the people that we sit beside in the pews on Sunday? That said, this doesn't mean that Christ doesn't call us to lay down certain things as we seek to be the church moving forward. It doesn't mean that we aren't called to lay down parts of our lives if we are going to change the world through this community that is steeped in disagreement, but also in the idea that Jesus calls us to something more. 
And so I think in John 15 and throughout the Gospels, Jesus actually teaches us a few things that even today we are called to lay down as we seek to be the church of Christ. The first thing, and this one is difficult, is that I believe Christ calls us to lay down our differences. Now, this is the one we struggle with in the church. Our differences do run deep, just like they did in the early church. I would argue after taking classes and exams on church history from the beginning until today that there has never been a moment when all Christians agreed on everything. If you read the Gospels, you find the disciples, as Jesus is teaching them, disagreeing on what he's supposed to be saying to them. When you open the book of Acts, you find Peter and Paul arguing at the first church council about whether or not the Gentiles should be taking the gospel or whether it should just remain within the synagogues and people should become Jews if they want to follow Jesus. Throughout the rest of church history, you find that same thing. People getting together and arguing with one another on what they agree upon, even getting heated and fistfights. As one of my favorite stories comes from St. Nicholas, the one who we would mirror Santa Claus after, who gets really mad at one of the other church bishops and punches him in the nose at one of the church councils. Even Santa Claus disagreed about what it meant to be the church of Christ. Yet there is something about us coming together as the followers of Christ that supersedes the things that divide us, Jesus says. Because Jesus knows we won't always agree. Or even get along for that matter. Yet he still calls the church together. What he does not do is say, when you disagree, split and try again or go to another community. What he says instead in John 15 is, this is what I command you. Love one another with all that you have. It does not mean we won't have differences in different ways. It just means that we have to find ways to come together across them, no matter how deep they might be, as we set the love of Christ as our defining marker of community. And so to be the church of tomorrow, we have to learn from the church of the past to set aside the things that divide us and find ways to come together through love, a love that is grounded in the common source that we all tap into, that is the love of Christ. It's not that we will always agree in doing this. We won't. There are many conversations to be had about where we disagree theologically and politically and ideologically and more. We are not called to ignore these things that are important to us in the church. Because, right, we should have a space here above anywhere else in our lives to be able to share the fullness of who we are. But it is to say that when we disagree... Jesus is calling us to handle the tension with grace that is created and to love one another across even those divides. And so Christ calls us to lay down our differences as we come together as the church. The second part of our lives that I think Christ calls us to lay down in in the church as we move forward together, and this one will sound strange, but that is Christ calls us to lay down our individualism. Who we are as valued creations of God is important. Jesus loves us for who we are as individuals. And the Apostle Paul spends a lot of time harping on this idea of the church as one body and many parts. But for the original readers of the Gospel of John, Jesus' call is to the beloved community, one community, above all else. It's this idea that no matter where we are from or what we bring to the table or how we defer, we are called to come together first and foremost as the community of Christ built on the love that he taught us about. 
In other words, when people outside of the church look toward us, they should see a community that leads in caring for one another, in loving through difference, and in believing in the hope that there is something more possible in this world no matter what we face. That should be what they see when they look at us. As theologian Roger Nishioka notes, with all of our faults and foibles and shortcomings, we are still the church, Christ's body here on earth. In the moments when we are at our Holy Spirit enabled best, we shine like no other in the world around us. So what we learn here in John 15 is when the world, the people outside of the church look at the church, even at BBC is a community of faith that's made up of important individuals, yes, one that steps out together as one body, loving one another as Christ has loved, and then loving the world around us in the same way how we can. Which brings us to the last thing that I think that we are called to lay down, maybe even the hardest one, and that is our facades of perfection. For far too long, Christians have gotten a bad rap for being holier than thou. You may have heard this before when it comes to our interactions with the world around us. What that's led to is the people outside of our church building having the idea that the church is not a place to be authentic or transparent or imperfect. If you don't sound a certain way, believe a certain way, or dress a certain way, then you better not head down to church on Sunday morning. The reality is, as we all know, when we're most honest with ourselves, the church is a beloved community not because we are perfect, but because we're actually not. It's because we are a ragtag group of people who struggle every day, who mess up more often than we'd care to admit, and who really don't have all the answers to everything. And in spite of that, Christ still loves us and calls us together anyway. More than even that, Jesus calls us his friends. John 15 makes it clear that the followers of Christ do not love, do not serve, or even exist because we are forced to. We are not slaves for Jesus, doing his bidding because we fear punishment if we don't. No, Jesus makes it clear that we are co-laborers with him in the work that he has called us to. We are partners in the transformation of this world. And what that means is that Jesus calls us together in our imperfection and reminds us that we are beloved in spite of it. Because we all know, when we're really honest, the reality is the world around us doesn't need another community of Christ that pretends to have it all right, that covers our mistakes with a well-put-together life that sweeps difficult things under the rug. The reality is the world around us needs something more real. A beloved community that says, come on over, you've got a place here even when you don't have it all together, even when you're not perfect. And you know why? Because I have that place. Because even on my worst days, I still have a place in this community of faith. Don't come here when you have everything right. Come here because you never will. And know that you have a place where you can be. As German theologian and pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. And what he means is, when we try to build a church community that only exists for what we want it to be, that only exists for what we hope it looks like, to, that only exists to look like we are sterling white in the world around us, we will destroy community. But he says, but the person who loves those around them will create community. 
when we step out into the world and we center ourselves as Jesus has called us to, on loving as he has loved, on knowing that the world won't always understand what we're doing in this place, but saying to them, come and learn, come and be, be you as you come in and experience Jesus and the forgiveness he offers to the world and the reconciliation that he wants us to see, that you have a place, whether you're perfect or not. And so church, we may not be called to lay down our lives in death for one another and the world around us. But that does not mean we are not called to lay down some part of our lives in our pursuit of Christ. In reality, we're called to lay down a lot of things. Not the least of which are the differences that divide us. Our extreme pull toward individualism over community and our facade that we are more important than we really are. So as we continue on our Eastertide journey, seeking what it means to be the true followers of Christ in the world after he's ascended back to God, this is our calling. To lay down our lives in community together as we seek the joy of the one who calls us. And so for our challenge this week, think about your role in this beloved community. And then ask, what differences, individual pursuits, or built-up walls are keeping you from loving in community fully? How might God be calling you to put aside those things as you move forward? Because you see, asking these questions of ourselves today is more important than ever. The people around us need us to be a church, as Jesus says in John 15, bears fruit, but not just that, bears fruit that will last. Change that makes a difference, transformation that changes the world that we are in. A church that says to people, you have a place. So church, let's not just exist. BBC, let's not just gather for worship here in this place on Sundays. Let's live in love for our community. Let's be honest with one another about our fears, about our doubts, about our dreams, about our hopes, about our differences. And then let's take our worship to the streets as we show the fullness of what it means to love as Christ loved with no abandon. Bringing people in to this community that doesn't make sense on paper or anywhere else. But makes sense because Christ has called us to it. We are beloved because Christ calls us beloved. Let's share that with the world. Let us pray together. Oh God, we come to this place, this community that you have built. We don't always agree on everything. We don't always see eye to eye, but at the end of the day, we come to this place and worship together because we know that you have called us to this place. That you look at us and you see the places that we may be hiding from even others in the church. The things that we feel insecure about or imperfect about or the doubts that we have. You see those things and you call us together in spite of them and say, be who you are, be authentic, be transparent. Know that I love you and just love one another as I love you. And so in that, help us to be challenged this week to, to face what walls we may have built and to tear those down so that we might experience the fullness of the community that Christ has called us to. Help us to remember as we ask those questions, as we come together closer in authentic, transparent community, that you don't call us to go and love one another or serve the world because we are your slaves, but because we are your friends. Help us to remember that we are your partners in the transformation of this world. And because of that, that changes everything. Be with us as we go from this place and as we respond in these moments. 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.